he entered a synagogue again, and a man was there whose hand was withered. So Jesus walks in, there's a man there whose hand is withered. And they were watching him closely, the Pharisees, they were watching him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, the Pharisees, the religious people, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might put him to death. He looked around at them with anger. Why was it an important detail for Mark to include? Why did, why did he write that and, and nobody else did? I don't really know why, but I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he did it for a couple of reasons. For one, when I read that in Mark, it tells me that Jesus was not immune to emotion. Right? He was a human, okay? He was not immune to emotions, when I see depictions of Jesus so often, uh, he is, it's, it's a very overly dramatic picture, right? It's very overly dramatic. And yet, somehow, in being overly dramatic, Jesus is also, like, emotionless. And he also comes with a British accent, usually, okay? Tell me why, I don't know why, but you, that's the way it is. So, but he's very stoic and also very, like, bless you, my children, right? But there's not, there's not like, emotion there. It's just not there. And so in this instance, when Jesus is clearly got some emotion going on in him, uh, it shows me that he's got some of the ups and downs of the emotion too. Now, he's more rooted and grounded in who he is in Christ and his identity, and so it affects him in, in, not in the same ways that we let it affect us. You know, it says, it says to, in your anger, do not sin, right? So clearly you can be angry and not sin. Jesus was angry, uh, but, but still, it doesn't affect us in the same way, but it, it gives me that window into Jesus, into a picture of Jesus that we don't get in a lot of other places, okay? So this image of Jesus experiencing this emotion and expressing it enough for somebody to pick up, up on it and to tell Mark, because Mark wasn't an eyewitness to this. He wrote it later on. He took, took the details from somebody else, but somebody picked up on it, right? And so Mark included it. That's significant. So it shows me Jesus is not immune to emotion, but it also shows me that the thing in the temple was not a one-time event, okay? This thing that, 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 that got Jesus irritated, that got Jesus kind of worked up was not a one-time deal. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't, oh, I'm sorry, I lost, I kind of lost the gear, guys. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's not what happened, okay? That's not what it was because we see it happening again. And we can see the connection between the two events, if you look at it. Now, I, obviously, I don't believe Jesus walked around mad. He wasn't one of those guys uh, with a chip on his shoulder, uh, trying to prove himself to everybody. And, you know, he, he, that's, that's, not, that's not the thing, right? But there are things, or a thing, that got under his skin. There is something that irritated him in, in an interesting way. 
And I think the thing that irritates him or that gets, brings out this emotion in him, maybe irritation is not the right word, but the thing that gets this emotion going in Jesus is the same thing that we see in the temple that we see here in this instance. And I think it's clear that the thing that gets Jesus upset or upsets Jesus in these scenarios, what it boils down to is choosing the institution over people. It's choosing rules and my agenda over relationship with people and with God. The thing that irritated and angered Jesus was the R word, right? We talk about it all the time, religion. That's what got him going. That's what upset him. Jesus comes face to face with religion in this circumstance in, in, or in these scenarios, and he meets it with anger, with irritation, and with grief. We just came through, a, a, like I said, Jeremy and I were at a conference this week, probably the most significant um, session for us was a breakout session, uh, and it filled, we filled it. The youth center was as big as this building in the church we were at, and it filled the whole room in that youth center. Um, and it was a, a, a workshop on, the title of it, uh, help me, Helping People Find God in the Midst of Deconstruction. Anybody know what deconstruction is? Like when we talk about, nobody, okay, good, I'll get to tell you. So deconstruction, is this idea that people, uh, for whatever reason, they're believers, uh, they're they're church attenders, they've been taught, they've been brought up in the church, or maybe they just came to it, um, but they've come to a point in their life where there is a crisis or there is something that doesn't fit, okay? There's something that doesn't fit with what they've been taught. And it does this with their experience. Doesn't fit. Oh, well, well God, God's got a plan for your life and God made that happen so that you would so and so and so and so. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, uh, that doesn't fit with what I know, okay? So there's this crisis of sorts uh, and, and all of a sudden, somebody, they, they've come into a contact with this thing that doesn't fit with what they believe or what they've been taught and they say, well, if that's not true, what else is not true? And they start to break it down. Okay, well, if I can't trust this, well, then I don't know if I can trust that. And if I can't trust that, I don't know if I can trust that. And if I can't trust that, I can't trust anything in here. Because what the church taught me is not what I'm finding here. And so it's this process of deconstruction. And what happens is, for most people in that situation, most people go, that's it, I'm done. I'm done, and I walk away. And there... The reason that room was so full at this conference this, this, that is full of pastors and church leaders in various positions, it's because it's everywhere. People are sick of religion. They're sick of it. It's everywhere. Growing up, I had friends who would 
I, I had a weird friend group. I was a Christian, I was a believer, and I was, my, my lunch table was filled with atheists and agnostics and, and, and um, not because I was that holy and I was trying to witness to them, but that's because who I fit in with. Um, and, and so I had friends who, who actively told me like, listen, you're cool, but don't shove that religion stuff down my throat. I don't wanna hear it, right? Religion's just a crutch that lazy people use because uh, they can't answer questions or they can't ask the hard questions and they're not willing to do it, so they, they just go to religion, right? Religion is just a thing that people use uh, to, to gain power, to manipulate others. They don't want to hear it. I have friends now who are sick of religion people who have involved themselves in the Christian church for years and years and years and who come to a crossroads for some reason in their life, whether it's something from the church or whether it's something from outside the church, but there is a crossroads for various reasons. They've decided, you know what? Religion's not for me. I'm done. They're sick of it. The hypocrisy, the abuse of leadership, the condemnation from other Christians, whatever it is, they're sick of religion. that's you, or if that's somebody you know, you're sick of religion, or they're sick of religion, can I tell you, so is God. You're fed up with the fake, sick of the judgment, exhausted from the competition, yep, so is God. So is God. Has been for a long time. It's never what he wanted for us. I wish we could make a commercial right here because I'd rip off the nationwide jingle. Are you sick of religion? Jesus Christ is on your side, right? Yeah. Copyright, yep, absolutely. And I say that because look at this story. Observe it from the outside. Put yourself there. I know we can't be there and I wish I could be, but observe it from the outside. There is a guy in the synagogue, which is like the local church. It's not the big temple in Jerusalem, but it's like the local places where you could go to learn and to worship, um, except on festivals, then you had to go to the big temple. But they could go to these local synagogues and they could learn and they could worship. So there's a guy in the synagogue and this man has a withered hand. We don't, I don't, I don't know what withered hand means, except that the Greek word for that, the interpretation is dried up, Okay. So imagine, dried up, curled, dried up. It's not functioning the way it's supposed to. Would you agree that this guy would like healing? Yeah. That he needs healing? As an observer of this story, if I'm standing in the corner of that synagogue, if you're standing in the corner of that synagogue, would you like this guy to have healing? I would say you would, I would. But when Jesus goes to the synagogue, do the Pharisees want this man healed? No, verse two says that they, that's the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scholars, it says they were watching Jesus to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. So in a way they're wanting to be healed, but it's not about the man, okay? They're hoping this man gets a healing 
but not because they want the man to experience the healing. They could care less about the guy who needs Jesus. They want Jesus to heal the man so that they might accuse him. That's their motivation. That's their concern. It has nothing to do with the man, only so Jesus might get caught in breaking the rule. So where is their concern? Is their concern the man or is their concern the rules? That's religion. Now just think about this. They are waiting on Jesus to break the rule, which the rule was that they're specifically addressing here. No work on the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, the Ten Commandments. Remember that one? The Sabbath, it's a day of rest, and apparently healing was not resting. That's what they're concerned about. But they were waiting on Jesus to do it. They were watching him so that they could accuse him. Listen to this. These people were hoping that Jesus would break the Sabbath so that they would have a reason to accuse him, a reason to get rid of him. They wanted Jesus to cross the line so that they had something against him. Let me repeat that. The Jewish religious leaders who were committed to keeping the the law of God were hoping that someone, specifically Jesus, were hoping that Jesus would break the law of God so that they could condemn him. So where is their concern? Is there concern for God in this? Is there concern for their rules? Let me say it again. That's religion. And you have to look at what the Sabbath is all about to understand. I mean, we can go down a rabbit hole here and I'm going to for a second, okay? The Sabbath is about, I'm not, I'm not a Jewish scholar um, and I don't claim to be, I don't pretend to be an expert on Judaism or its traditions, but the Sabbath, or as it's known, the Shabbat was about recognizing who God is. He is the creator. And when he created, he rested on the seventh day. And the Sabbath was celebrated as a recognition for who God was. It was recognition as a celebrate. We celebrate God by resting because God created, he gave us all this, he did all of this, and then he rested. So we're gonna rest too, okay? That's the Sabbath. It's a gift to people. Keep that in your mind. It is a gift. Let me read from you about the Sabbath from a website called, uh, it's My Jewish Learning, and it's just about... Judaism and, and for people who are interested in, in learning about Judaism and going deeper into that faith. But it says this, Shabbat is portrayed in the Bible as a pinnacle of the creation of the universe and its observance can be seen as a reminder of the purposefulness of the world and the role of human beings in it. Shabbat also serves as a memorial to God's act of uh, rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt by setting aside a day for personal autonomy and freedom from the harsh demands of labor, an opportunity to rest. The traditional Shabbat is portrayed in Jewish liturgy, song, and story as a day of joy, uh, a sanctuary from the travails, and even a foretaste of the perfected world that will someday be attained. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. That's why the commandment says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, keep it separated, keep it set apart. 
And the Pharisees took this and elevated it, uh, the, the understanding of this to an incredible level, okay? They had the main law, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But then they said, well, wait a minute, how do we know if we're remembering the Sabbath? Well, let's make some rules so that we know if we follow those rules, then we know we are remembering the Sabbath, okay? So there's the law and then there's the laws to make sure we're following the law, okay? And there are 39 rules to make sure you're remembering the Sabbath. 39 things you can or can't do to make sure you're remembering the Sabbath. And I'm gonna list them. Sowing seed, you can't plant, okay? Sowing seed, plowing, reaping, gathering and binding, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting. Can't do those things. That has to do with agriculture, right? Kneading, baking, shearing wool, cleaning, combing, dyeing, spinning, stretching the threads, making loops, weaving threads, separating the threads, tying a knot, untying a knot, sewing, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, skinning, tanning hide, smoothing, ruling lines, don't be measuring stuff, cutting, writing, erasing, building, breaking down, extinguishing a fire, kindling a fire, striking the final hammer blow, and no carrying things. Sounds like a lot of work in order to rest. But I'm not listing this to make fun, okay? I'm not. I am listing this so you understand how seriously these people took the Sabbath. These are the lengths they went to to make sure they followed this law and honored God with this law. It was important to them. It was a celebration of God, a day for honoring him, remembering him and his faithfulness. And they recognized that when someone broke this law, it was not honoring God. It was dishonoring to God. It was ignoring him. On another occasion, Jesus and the disciples are walking through a field. The disciples are hungry and they pick a couple of heads of grain as they're walking and they eat them. What did they just do? They just reaped, they just harvested. That's breaking the Sabbath. And the Pharisees flip out and say, what are you doing? You're dishonoring God. How could you do that? Because it's about remembering and honoring God. That's how, it's, how important it was to them. So back to our story, back to Mark. These guys were serious about honoring God. And they were watching Jesus to see if he would break the Sabbath, but they were watching Jesus see if he would break the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Break this down. What do they want? They want Jesus to break the Sabbath. They want Jesus to dishonor God. That's what they're asking for. That's what they're hoping for. So that they would have a reason to accuse him and put him to death. So they were hoping that he would break the Sabbath. Suddenly their concern is not about the Sabbath. Suddenly their concern is not about God or honoring God. All of a sudden it's, it's, it's about their rules and their established way of functioning in their established mindset of how, what we have to do in order to relate to God. They were hoping Jesus would break the Sabbath. If they were worried about dishonoring God, about making sure God was honored, they wouldn't be hoping Jesus would break the Sabbath. So they've taken this thing that is about relationship with God, a gift to people. 
They have taken this thing about, uh, what, that's made to be about relationship with God and they've turned it into a tool for condemnation. This is what religion does. It takes the focus off of communing with God and the focus off of relationship with God and it puts the focus on doing things right. Let me say it this way. Religion takes the focus off of what God has done for humanity and puts the focus on what humanity is doing for God. Jesus said man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. It is a gift. God gave the Sabbath to people. It is his gift for us. Religion takes the focus off of what God has done. Here is a gift for you and puts it on what I am doing. Did I do it right? Did I keep it enough? Or as is often the case, what other people are doing. Did you keep it enough? Religion takes the focus off of what God has done for humanity and puts it on what humanity is doing for God. Would you agree that the Bible is a story, a, a love story from God to people? Would you agree that scripture is the story of God redeeming people to himself? A story of God abandoning all reason and all logic of what makes sense and doing what was necessary to bring people back into right relationship with him. Would you agree with that? I think you probably would. Then why do we read the Bible as an instruction booklet of things I need to do and I need to say in order to be in right relationship with God? The Bible is a story of redemption. It's our story of redemption, the story of the lengths that God would go through in order to keep relationship with people, to make people his sons and his daughters. It is not a listing of the conditions in order for that to be true. It's not a tool that we use for condemnation of one another or of belittling people who are struggling or belittling people who are rebellious. It's not what it is. It's a story of our redemption, of what God has done for us, of what God wants to do in us and through us. I understand that the New Testament is filled with instructions on how to live, how to live with one another, exhortations from one party to another about how the church should handle uh, uh, brothers and sisters with grace and with truth and with love. It's filled with things about honor, with things that honor, or excuse me, it's filled with things that honor God and, and, and don't honor God. It tells us about those things. But listen, if you're ever in the position where you are hoping to catch someone breaking the rules so you can exact punishment or so that they can experience the condemnation of God, you miss the boat. You have. The Pharisees in this story aren't concerned that God would be dishonored by Jesus's actions. They are hoping he dishonors, according to them, they are hoping he dishonors God by breaking the Sabbath so that they can accuse him. Something is wrong. Something is wrong if you are hoping God gets dishonored according to your rules so that your goals can be accomplished. And Jesus knows that's what's going on. He knows it. And because he knows what's going on, it upsets him. 
He looks around at them with anger, it says. And it's important to me that he doesn't just stop at anger, okay? It's important to me that he looks around at them with anger, but he is grieved at their hardness of heart. He is grieved. Jesus is grieved that this is how they think relationship with God should work. This is, this is how honoring God works. He is grieved that the law and the rules that they impose upon themselves and on other people are more important to them than the fact that this man needs to be healed. He needs to experience God's love. There is a man right in front of them, in their midst, that needs healing. He needs a touch from God. But the spirit of religion has blinded them to that so much that they can't even see what is happening in front of them. They can't see it. Think about it. They're hoping that Jesus heals this man, but not so the man can be healed and he can experience the love of God in that way. They're hoping that Jesus heals the man so they can trap Jesus. What? What about the man? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They know Jesus has the ability to do this. They've seen him do the miracles. They've seen the miraculous. They've heard the teachings where he teaches like nobody else has ever taught that they've ever experienced. But their hearts are so hardened by religion that all they can do is hope to trap Jesus because he's offending their religion. Because these actions offend their religious mindset, they don't care that God is literally standing in their midst in front of them doing the miraculous, straightening out bones, healing tendons that have been withered and curled for this man's entire life. All they care about is their religious rules and getting rid of Jesus because he's messing stuff up for them. There is a miracle right in front of their eyes. They see it. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out his hand. It happens right in front of them. Do they celebrate the miraculous? No, they don't celebrate the miraculous. Do they ask Jesus, how'd you do that? Jesus, can you let it? We wanna do that too. We wanna heal people. We wanna see uh, people's lives changed uh, for the kingdom of God. We wanna see it. Do they check on the guy to make sure it's real? Maybe it was a trick. No, none of the stuff that would come natural that we would think of. What do they do? Immediately, they go out and try and kill him. Immediately, they want to get rid of him. They wanted death for the crime of healing a man. Death for the offense of bringing a man life and hope. Yeah, but he did it on the wrong day. Really? They wanted Jesus dead because he healed a man. How can that be? What could possibly drive people to seek the death of the one who has the authority of God to heal rather than celebrate this man being made whole? What could drive people that far? This is how deep-seated religion is. And if I was standing in that synagogue and I saw this happen with these folks, I'd be ticked off too. If I was a Jewish person who was serious about relationship with God and Jesus walks into the room and he heals this man, I would be so angry. I would be angry at the institution that kept this man at bay and probably kept me at bay for various reasons or I just hit it and so it didn't. I would be angry. 
I would be grieved that there has been a system in place that kept people who need God out in a way. I would be upset at the people in leadership who tolerated and perpetuated the system, who allowed for the struggling to be kicked while they were down because it's more convenient for the system if they stay that way. I would be angry with all of that and I would want to abandon that system. Can you tell I'm not speaking hypothetically anymore? But do you know what I would not be angry with? Who I would not be grieved about? Do you know who I would not abandon? Jesus. Brothers and sisters, people who are not sure if you're Christians anymore, people who are sick of religion. Can I tell you I'm sick of religion too? Jesus is sick of religion. But let me assure you, Jesus is not the source of what you despise. The opposite of that is true. Jesus is the answer to it. Jesus and his grace are the end of religion. They are. He is. If you understand that religion is a system of doing and keeping in order for you to be in right relationship with God, Jesus is the end of that. I understand that in the name of Jesus, all kinds of awful things have been done in history. Maybe to you or people you love, but that's not Jesus. That comes from the religion that elevates rules over relationship. It prioritizes laws over people. Religion that has tried to defend God against people when all God has ever done is run towards them. God doesn't need us to defend him. He took that out when Jesus came. I don't need your defense. If you're sick of religion, don't run away from Jesus. Run towards him. He is the solution to everything you despise. You're tired of hypocrisy within the church? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Tired of the burden that religion puts on you and others? Jesus says, come to me. If you're weary, I'll give you rest. Frustrated that you've been kept out, kept at arm's length because you're not the model of what religion says you should be, Jesus embraced the less than, the diseased, the hurting, the sinner, constantly. The pursuit of Jesus and his grace, or I should just say Jesus and his grace, is or are the end of religion. Jesus is the end of religion. And in the church, we need to be reminded of that over and over and over because it is so easy to start to depend again on our own efforts. It's so easy to begin to trust in strength and in self-discipline, in rules, in regulations, in law, rather than trusting grace to be our teacher. There's an incredible verse in Titus chapter two. Verse 11 and 12, it says this, for grace, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. For the grace of God has appeared instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly and righteously and in a godly manner in the present age, 
Now you might think, well, that just said I got to do all that stuff. I got to be righteous, and I got to be on. Uh, I got to be godly, uh, um, and and to to deny ungodly desires. But you know what does it? Grace is what instructs us. Not law, not rules, not guardrails that you put up in your life so that you don't cross the law and then cro- and, and 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 unintentionally cross that law. It's grace. Grace is the thing. Grace is the thing. If we trust the grace of Jesus to hold us and to teach us rather than religion, we can actually grow in the freedom of that grace. Church, we need to be reminded of that because it's not always easy to trust grace, especially for other people, right? But if we're actually in relationship with Jesus, experience his grace, walking in that relationship that's based on him and his sacrifice and his resurrection for us, there is no room for religion. I've often looked at these stories, specifically the one in the temple, and I just ask, well, uh, or, or Jesus is addressing the Sabbath, like, and, I, and I ask, well, why is Jesus attacking the Sabbath? Isn't that his rule? Didn't God hand that down as one of the commandments? Is Jesus contradicting himself? Jesus is not attacking the Sabbath or any other law. He said, I didn't come to do away with law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus is attacking the idea that keeping the Sabbath gives you relationship with God or not keeping the Sabbath keeps you out of relationship with God. Jesus is attacking the idea that these laws are more important to him than the people that they affect. That's what he's addressing. Religion elevates rules over people. It elevates rules over relationship with God. When in fact, God has removed the needs, the need for the rules because we believe we can actually be born again. And to be born again means I got a new heart. It means I have the life of Christ. It means I've been born in the nature of Christ rather than in the nature of Adam. And if we're born in the nature of Christ, then we are established in that relationship with God through the grace of Jesus, not through anything we do or don't do. That's the end of religion right there, by definition. If you let it be. If you let it be. And if you remove the need for religion and rule keeping, all you've got left is freedom to walk with Jesus. Let me summarize this story for you. All this man wants is to be with God and to be healed. That's all he wants. He was already in the synagogue, so he wanted to be with God. He was pursuing God. He has a need to be with Jesus. How many people in this world do we know have a need to be with Jesus? Absolutely every single one of them, right? Every single one of them. I don't care what their condition is, they need Jesus. And Jesus is reaching out to them. He is willing to heal them. He is willing to make them new, even if the religious system isn't willing to be inconvenienced by their need. All the man wants is to be with God and to be healed. All the religious people want is for Jesus 
to follow their rules. They don't care whether the man is healed or not. That's not their concern. They don't care. Their concern is only that the law is followed. I think many in the Christian faith are in that position right now. Jesus is over here healing the sick. He's over here freeing people uh, from demon possession. Yeah, he's still doing that. He's over here loving the sinner, inviting the sinner to follow him, inviting the sinner to be made new. And much of the church just wished Jesus would follow the rules. Oh, God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't love them. He wouldn't speak to them. He can't work in that situation. There's too much sin there, deliberate sin. That's asking God to follow our rules. All the man wants is to be with God and to be healed. All the religious people want is for Jesus to follow their rules. And all God wants is for all people to be made new in his grace. Everyone in this story. Jesus wants to heal this man. He doesn't care what day of the week it is. He doesn't care whether the guy is a nice guy, whether he he said his prayer for breakfast that morning and then he kicked his donkey on the way to the, the synagogue. He doesn't care. Jesus wanted this man to know the love of God. To know the love of God. He wanted to heal him regardless God wants for all people to be made new in his grace. Jesus looks around at these guys. He looks at them angry and grieved because the religious people, the Pharisees, they aren't getting it. They need healing too. They need healing too. He's grieved because not only are they keeping this man from being healed but they need healing themselves, but they don't see it. They don't know what is available to them. Their religious aptitude has blinded them to their own needs. The same grace that Jesus shows this man is what he wants to show them, and he wants them to enjoy it, but they can't see it. The power of God is literally walking in their midst, and they can't see it. So two things for today. First, I want you to know if you're sick of religion, if you're fed up, if you're burnt out, if you're exhausted with it, if you're ready to walk away from it all, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. Because religion is not the life he wants for us. It's not the life he made available to us. But don't see Jesus as the problem. Jesus is the solution to it all. He's the end of religion. Jesus Christ is on your side. Secondly, if you find yourself among the religious, I'm not here to badger you, but I'm here to tell you today that God is not interested in what you can do for him. He is interested in you embracing what he's done for you. 
and living out of that. He is interested in you embracing what he has done for you and living out of that reality. And guess what? Jesus Christ is on your side too. Because all God wants is for people to be made new in his grace and to walk with him. He can take care of the rest. And the kind of church that we're trying to build here is a place where, place where both of those groups can coexist. Both of those groups, the I'm sick of religion group and the recovering religious group. You'll notice I didn't say the religious. <laughs> I said the recovering religious. Because I believe that people who are stuck in that mindset, and I'm trying to say this carefully, but people who are stuck in that mindset are gonna have a hard time existing in an environment where we're reaching people who are tired of religion and where people are, are trying to recover from religion. In that, in that one session, uh, Melanie Melanie Forsyth Lee was her name. The question was asked of, of her and, and her executive pastor. They said, well, how do you, how do you handle, how do you uh, uh, um, minister to the people who are not going through deconstruction? And you're exploring all these ideas and you're, you're talking about basically what we're talking about, which is the idea that religion's not gonna cut it anymore. How do you, how do you minister to those people? And basically she said, it's a missional mindset. And not everybody is ready for mission work. And some people are gonna find another place to be where they can be and continue in that mindset. But I wanna be the church that's exploring more than that. I wanna be the church that is pursuing grace, not because we have to chase after it, but because we're exploring it more and more. We're swimming in it. It's so deep in here. That's what I want. That's the kind of church that I wanna be. I'm tired of religion. Y'all, I was exhausted this past week because my filter is now so tuned that I'm like, everything that's being taught, I'm like, wait, is that, is that religion? Oh, wait, is that grace? Are we, are we trusting grace in that idea? We, and it just, I'm not, I'm not inviting you into exhaustion, but I'm saying that's where I am. Like I'm trying to filter things because I don't want that. What I want is a genuine experience with God. And if it means this, then I want that. And if a genuine experience with God means this, then I want that. I don't want the fake. I don't want the religion. I don't want the pretend. I don't want the masks. I want genuine relationship with God and with people. That's what I'm after. And I think that's the kind of place this church is supposed to be, which means it's not gonna look pretty sometimes. but we always come back to Jesus because Jesus is the end of religion. When we've got those questions, we always come back to Jesus. This is what I know, Jesus. This is what I know. And we see everything through the lens of Jesus. And in my understanding, everything through the lens of the resurrection and what that means for us. So if y'all stand up to your feet, I don't know where you find yourself in that spectrum because it's a big spectrum. 
but I want us to embrace the reality of what God has done in us already. When we're born again, that means something, right? When we're born again, it means something. There's something new happening that wasn't there before. The other thing died first. The old us died and now we're new. And so now we're exploring what does it mean to be new? What can I expect in my life? Where can I expect God moving? But it's like the mustard seed, right? How does, how does a farmer know where the mustard seed is growing? He doesn't. He doesn't know. It's just happening. And we're going to continue to press into Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit in that way. So I would invite you as we sing these next couple of songs, be processing that as you're singing, as you're worshiping. God, where are you working in my life? Am I the same as I was 10 years ago? I doubt it. I doubt it because I believe the Holy Spirit is in you and working, not through your effort, but through his. It's about what he's done. And that's what we're trusting. So if you need to move and minister to somebody, please feel free to do that um, or ask for prayer as well.